How's it going, y'all? Okay. That tells me a lot about how the sermon's going to go. Man, I am so glad that you're here. Um, If I have not had the opportunity to meet you yet, my name is Chase Sanders. I am the college pastor here at First Baptist Ruston. And man, it is just the pleasure of my life um, to be able to work with and live with and just do life with college students. Um, Because I truly believe that you are not only the future, but you, you are the future now, right? You're not the future of the church. You are the church today. And as we begin our first sermon series of the year, um, we're going to be looking at a few big questions that every college student asks. A few big questions that every college student asks. And since that's a mouthful, I'm going to most of the time just say big questions. Um, And those questions are obviously come from a whole whole different area of life, right? So you know when you get to college, especially like any seniors in the room, yeah, yeah. Man, the worst question that you can ask a senior is, what are you doing next, right? Like, what's the plan? What's your future going to look like? Uh, I had a conversation with a student the other day, and they were like, just don't ask, right? Like, don't ask me. I don't know yet. Like, we're going to figure it out along the way. Um, But in college, like, you have to come up with these big answers to these big questions, right? Of what we're going to do with our life, who we're going to be, who we're going to date, who we're going to marry, what job we're going to pursue, all of these things, where we're going to live, where are we going to spend our time? And all of these things are heavy, right? And in college, you have a lot of decisions to make. And you ask yourself a lot of questions. One of which, I don't actually know if you know that you asked yourself this question. That might be confusing, but just stick with me for a second. I remember back when I was in high school, I was like a senior about to go to my about to graduate and come to college. Uh, I knew this person that they had graduated, they went off to college and they became a different person, right? They dressed differently, they talked differently, they act differently because in college they were realizing that they had the opportunity to truly identify who they were. And so their whole life changed. And the question that we often fail to really think about is the question, who am I? It's a very existential question, right? Um, we can get really deep and philo- philosophical. Good thing is we're not tonight. Um, so if you're worried about that, don't worry anymore um, because that's not where we're going. But the answer to this question, I think, is extremely important because who you are truly drives the things that you do, right? So often, like, people will ask, like, me and Rachel now that, like, we're married, like, what our job is, right? Because that's how they're going to identify us. Like, Rachel, they're like, oh, you're an engineer. Wow, smart, right? Like, that's the first thing to say all the time. And, I'm, and it's just funny because like, I'm way more than just an engineer, right? And too often, we, like, delegate our lives to these one-word simple answers of I'm a, I'm a profession or I'm in a relationship with this person. So as we, like, traverse this question, who am I, it really does drive who we are going to be. There's one quote by a guy, his name is Reed Hoffman. Uh, He's like a businessman, he is not a theologian, Um, but I just thought his quote was really, really helpful for this topic. He says, identity is a core and unavoidable part of all of our lives. Our actions shape our identity, and in turn, our identity shapes our actions. This quote, I think, really lies at the heart of your college experience. 
you have to determine who you are. Because when you determine who you are, that is going to drive the course of your life. So this question, who am I, lies at the heart of all that we are going to do and be. So who are we? Again, not getting super existential, but we're going to look tonight at this question. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at similar questions. One of them being, what's the purpose, like, what's the purpose of my life, right? And another question that we're going to look at is, what's God's will for my life? And as we just walk through these questions, we're going to dig into Scripture and see what Scripture says about these things. Because the truth is, guys, our lives are not defined by our culture, and we must not let them be. We have to have a foundation, and there is no greater foundation than the Word of God. So as we look to answer these questions, we're going to dive deep into Scripture and see what Scripture says about all of these topics. So this week, we're looking at who are we, and we're going to be in Galatians 4. Galatians 4, we're going to be starting in verse 1. So Galatians Four, verse 1. If you have your Bibles, you can flip there. If you don't, the verses will be up on the screen, so don't worry. Galatians 4, 1 says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. And in the same way, we also, when we were children, we're enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, we are just so grateful for the opportunity to open up your word tonight. Lord, I just pray that you would be with us as we, we dive deep into Galatians 4, Lord, that you would speak clearly to us. Lord, that our, our, our hearts and our minds will be open to what you have for us. And Lord, as we look at this question of identity, Lord, that you would reveal to us our true identity in you. Lord, we're so thankful for this opportunity to study your word and to be in community with one another. We ask that you would bless this time. It's your son's name I pray, amen. So in order to begin this conversation, since we're jumping like in the middle of Galatians, I'm gonna give y'all just a little bit back of background um, because if you just pick up in verse one of chapter four, you miss like half the book, exactly half the book actually. Um, so up to this point in the book, um, the church at Galatia is a relatively new church. Um, they're mostly made up of Jewish Christians. So Jewish background, but then they became followers of Christ. It was one of the first churches that, that Paul planted um, in his missionary journeys. Um, so they're, they're really fresh. They're asking questions that other churches don't ask because they haven't been answered yet. Um, so there's these false teachers that have been infiltrating the church in Galatia, um, and they have been saying some things that do not align with the gospel that Paul originally brought to the church at Galatia. Because these people would come in and say, yes, Jesus, yes, Jesus is our salvation, but we also have to do all of these things. Yes, Jesus, but then we need to do this, that, and the other. 
this message is contrary to the gospel in which Paul brought to them. Because the gospel that Paul brought to the church of Galatia was Jesus is the answer, that's it. Jesus is our salvation, that's it. You can't work hard enough, you can't follow the law enough. You must just trust in the name of Jesus. So as Paul writes to this church, he's giving them explanations of of what their previous state was, of who they were before Christ, and that's kind of where we're picking up um, in chapter four. As he explains who they were before Christ, what Christ did, and then who they were after Christ. And these things are extremely important to us because we must first recognize who we were in order to know where we're going. And so the first thing that we see in this text is that before Christ, we are held captive to sin. We are held captive to sin. We see this in verse 3 when it says, In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. This is extremely important for us to recognize because this is the identity of all of the people before Jesus entered the picture. Enslaved to the principles of the world. And if we jumped up a little bit in the end of chapter three, we would also see that people are also enslaved to the law. The law which was given to the Jewish people in order to give them direction, but also to reveal the sin that was already within them. So there's two types of people in this church. There's a type of people that is saying you have to follow every dot of the law. These are your religious elites. These are the people that Jesus often spoke against. He's saying you care so much about the law that you add to it, but you forget who God is altogether. He says, you know what it means to follow the law, but you have no clue what it means to have a heart after God. And in doing this, and them trying to lift themselves up to God, what they were trying to do is say, I can be good enough, I can be righteous enough in order to have relationship with God again. But the whole message of the gospel, and as if we read through the, the totality of scripture, we recognize that that will never work because people continually fell short of the law. Jesus says that we must be greater than all of the Pharisees in our righteousness in order to reach the kingdom of heaven. These Pharisees were the people that were the religious elite. They were the ones who set the law. In other words, what Jesus was saying is it is not possible to be righteous enough to reach the kingdom of God. And you can either be enslaved to the law where you're, you're in love with the things that you ought to do, the, 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 the checklist type of person who says, I have to do this, this, and this, and this in order to have a right relationship with God, or you have the other side of it. You have the other side who says, man, the law means nothing. I'm just going to go and do whatever I want. And they think and pursue this as freedom in their lives. But the truth is, they're just as much enslaved as the people are enslaved to the law. Because in their freedom, they think they can do whatever they want, but then that becomes their God. That becomes the thing that drives them. And that always drives them further and further away from God and further, further into captivity or bondage. The law in and of itself, doing right things in and of itself will not get us to heaven. 
doing whatever we want in and of itself will also not give us freedom. Ephesians 2 kind of explains this state of who we were before Christ even further, right? It says we're sons of disobedience, sons of wrath. We are people that are dead in our trespasses and sin. We are people that are carrying out and pursuing the desires of the flesh. He's saying before Jesus came into the picture, we were sinners. We were people who were missing God. Because God is perfect and holy and he can't be in the presence of people that are not. And man, you're saying this is really sad, right? Like this is not the direction I wanted to be going today. But the truth is we have to know our past in order to know where we're going. Man, I remember one of the, my least favorite things was going to the doctor um, like right by myself, right? Like your whole life you go with your parent and they fill out the form for you and you're like, okay, like we're good. We just sit here and feel sick and then the doctor gives us good medicine, right? Like that was the doctor. And then you get like high school and early college and you have to go by yourself and you're like, mom, I've never done any of this before. What is heart disease, right? Uh, like do our fa- does our family have any of this? Do they have diabetes? Do they have that word that I can't pronounce, right? And, and we just like, we get to this question. I'm just like, mom, help, right? Uh, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to answer the question. But this family history is important, right? Because it can help e- explain things that are happening in your life today, right? If you have a family history of heart disease and diabetes, you probably need to watch after what you eat, right? You probably need to exercise so that you don't participate in the family history, right? And so knowing who we were and knowing who our past self was is extremely important to understand our current state and what we need to be doing. So the first thing that we see in this passage is that Before Christ, we are held captive to sin, but the good news is the story doesn't end there because Christ was sent for our redemption. Christ was sent for our redemption. We see this in verse four and five. It says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Verse four is a really good verse, guys. As we see, but when the fullness of time had come, this question, you're like, what does that even mean? I'm glad you asked. Um, I'm glad we can have this dialogue here tonight. Um, But what this means when he says that when the fullness of time has come is that God in his providence, in his all knowingness, said this was the time in which Jesus needed to be sent on this earth. And there was many factors that contributed to this. For the first time in history, there was like peace throughout the whole earth. They called it the Pax Romana. It just means Roman peace. I just wanted to be a little fancy for a second, right? It means there was peace everywhere. There was no war going on. It also means there was roads. There was the best infrastructure that had ever existed in history at this point. To the point now where even Roman roads still exist because they did a really good job and then interconnected all the different provinces of the empire. And also during this time, there was a common language that went throughout the whole world. It was Greek, it was common Greek. And they could all speak to one another. 
And God in his providence recognized that this was the time to send my son because when he sent his son, the message could be spread to the ends of the world. And this was the fullness of time. And then he sent his son. And then it says a a phrase that you're like, okay, that makes sense. But it says, God sent forth his son, born of woman. You're like, all right, cool. What does that have to do with anything, Paul? It's actually really important. Um, Because what he's saying is that he sent his son who is God. He sent him as man, as one of us. He sent him as someone who could experience the same things that we experience. And he sent him into the, the Jewish law system. He was born under the law, which is also really important because he was able to fulfill the law that we could never meet. So Jesus in his perfect life has set himself up for the perfect price for our own lives. Because we recognize that we can never meet the law on our own. No matter how hard we tried, no matter how hard we worked, we were gonna fall short of this law which really just revealed our sinfulness altogether. But Jesus as fully man and fully under the law came and fulfilled the law so that when he died on the cross, his penalty, his, his, the price that he paid was perfect for each and every one of us because we couldn't do something that he did. And he came and he was this perfect substitution, this perfect sacrifice for you and for me. He was enough. And if his life wasn't perfect, if he wasn't fully man, if he wasn't born under the law, his death wouldn't mean nearly as much. But because he was all of those things, his death was perfect. It was the perfect sacrifice for you and for me. And then in verse five, we see a really cool terminology that honestly, we just like probably miss most of the time. It says he was born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as son. This term redeem, we throw it out a lot Um, But what it actually means is pretty cool. Uh, It means to buy up, to pay a ransom, or to rescue from loss. So when Jesus and, and God here who says he sent his son to redeem us, it means that he sent his son to pay for us. Because our lives are worthy of paying for. Worthy of his death on the cross. This is an amazing thing and thought that we need to recognize that we are worthy of redemption. We are worthy of payment. And as we look through this question of our identity, this is something that is pivotal for us. That Jesus, the son of God, was willing to come and die for you. For you and for me. Because our life, even in our imperfection, was worth it to God. And that is a beautiful thing to recognize. I'm gonna paint you a picture of kind of what this looks like, right? So let's say you are a freshman. This is your first quarter here at Louisiana Tech. All just picture yourself as freshman fall quarter, okay? And you're taking English 101. Man, what a class. Uh, Yeah, Uh, anyways, I just lost my total train of thought. But English 101, what a class. And you are just, you just don't care, right? Like, like college is so much fun. You're just out hanging out with friends. You're drinking way too much coffee, playing way too much volleyball, video games till 4 a.m. Um, and you realize that you had a paper due tomorrow morning 
Actually, we'll say tonight at midnight. Make it feel even hurt. It'll hurt a little more, you know. It's due tonight at midnight, and you forget about it until you leave this place. It's a 10-page paper, which is too much for English 101, if we're just being honest, but let's say it was, right? It was a 10-page paper. And you say, okay, I have to turn something in, otherwise I'm going to fail this class. So you, in your immediate wisdom, say, I'm going to go look online and see what the online says about this topic, right? And you go online and you, you, you see this article and you're like, actually, that's the exact kind of paper that I want to write. I, I'll just copy and paste it, right? There is nobody going to know, right? There is no way that anyone could know. And so you copy and paste it. You, you make this decision knowing that like, it's not a wise decision, but you're like, we'll see what happens. Because if I don't turn something in, I'm going to fail anyways. So you turn this paper in. And uh, one thing, there's a thing, if you don't know this and you are a freshman, plagiarism is not okay, right? Um, so don't do what I'm saying. Because if you plagiarize and the teacher catches you like this imaginary student, they send you to a council, right? I don't know why we have councils. This is like the 21st century. But like they send you to this like, I don't even, like it's upper education. They feel like they would just kick you out, right? But no, they give you a chance to like defend yourself before this council. And so you're defending yourself before this council and you're like, you know, I, I don't have an excuse. I was just running late. I just decided to cheat and like, that's it. And so their, their, their punishment for you is they're gonna kick you out of school, right? Like they're not gonna give you a second chance. They're just gonna say, get out of here. And not only do they do that in this imaginary situation, they say you can't go to any other college in the country because somehow they have that much power because it's a council, you know? Um, and, and so they do this, and you're like, okay, my future's gone, right? Like all that my plans that I had to be this really cool, I don't know, engineer, I don't know, we're just throwing things out here, they're gone. How am I going to tell my parents? Like there's absolutely nothing I can do to dig myself out of this hole. And then someone comes in this room. I don't know who he is. He's a senior. He is a chemical engineering major, like hard degree, final quarter, and all he has left is English 101. How that happened, the Lord only knows. But he has English 101. He's in the same class with this freshman fall quarter student. And he comes in, he says, you know what? I'll take the blame. Just kick me out instead. I'll take this person's place so that they can have a future. Even though I've worked really hard, I've done all the right things, I've put myself in a position to have a future, I'm going to give it all up for this person who really didn't deserve anything. I mean, honestly, like, not a good person. If that's you as a freshman, guys, we can do better. Um, but, like, they're not, a, not doing what they're supposed to be doing, right? They made decision after decision that was just bad. I mean, like, there is nothing good about what this freshman fall quarter student did. And if you plagiarize, I am not hating on you guys. Uh, like, we've all made mistakes, um, which is the point, right? We've all made mistakes, and Jesus, in his infinite wisdom, said, even though this person doesn't deserve my love, they don't deserve my care, they don't deserve anything from me, I'm going to give my life over for them. I mean, he, he came into the room and he just said, you know what, no, take me instead. Because Christ was sent in order to pay the price that we can never pay for ourselves. 
He came to redeem us, which is the foundation of our identity if we are a follower of Christ in the room. Because as we continue through this text, we see that in order to enter into a relationship with Christ, all we see, it's actually in verse 26 of chapter 3. Um, it says, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So he came in, he saved us, he said, put it all on me, and all we have to do is have faith in the one that came to save. And believe that he did what he said he did, and he is who he says he was. That is all that is required of us. And if we make that decision, if we place our faith in him, then we become into the sonship, into the family of God, which gives us a new identity. Because those in Christ have a new identity in him. Those in Christ have a new identity in him. So we were once lost, we were once enslaved to sin, we were once enslaved to our failures. But Christ in his, in his ultimate providence came at the perfect time in order that we could have a relationship with the Father once more. In order that we can be reconciled back to God. So he paid for us. He gave it all for us. So that we could once again become and enter into the family of God. We have received new life. We have gone from enemies of God and strangers and aliens to members of his family. And there is so much weight and so much identity in being a son or daughter of God. And while the world tells us so many false things about who we are and what our identity is, we have to be firmly founded in scripture and firmly founded in who we are in Christ because that is our identity. As we read through this text, the first thing we see that we just got done talking about is that we are redeemed. We have been paid for. That means your life is worth it. We often feel unworthy. We often feel worthless. We often feel like we don't have a purpose. But the God of the universe said, you know what? You as an individual are worthy of my death. The ultimate price in my death. While we often feel lonely and uncared for, we see the God of the universe give everything to pay the penalty for the things that we did. We are redeemed. We are worthy of his love. We are worthy in a sense that he gives us value. And the second thing we see is that we are adopted. This is a really cool terminology. It's a legal terminology. Um, that Paul is using. I don't know why he goes all lawyer here, but he does. Um, and he says, you as an individual are adopted into the family of God. And you're like, okay, cool. We've heard that before. There is so much weight to that. We have to recognize and we must realize that being adopted as sons and daughters of God means that we receive the inheritance that was only designated for Jesus. But as a son of God, as someone who was adopted into the family, we were chosen enough, we were loved enough to say, even though you don't share my name, because you're in Christ, now you do. And not only do you share my name, but you get everything. You inherit everything. You are an heir to the kingdom. And not because of anything you did, but because of all that God has done for us. So we are redeemed, we are adopted. The third thing we see in verse six is that we 
are loved. In verse 6, he goes on and say, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. God, in his love for us, not only sent his Son, but sent the Spirit as well to indwell within us, to give us guidance, to give us comfort, to give us a direct line to the Father, to where we as individuals can cry out, Father, help. We are loved so greatly. We are loved so deeply. And in this room tonight, you might not feel this, but we have to recognize the truth that is found in this text is that we are are redeemed, we are loved, and we are adopted into the family of God if we are a follower of Christ. And the fourth thing that we see in this text is that we are known. As we continue on, and we'll skip a verse and go to verse 9, it says, But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more. In verse 9, we see a, a cool just like phrase. He just kind of throws it in there. He says, not only do you know who God is, but he knows you as an individual. He knows all the pain that you have been through. He knows all, all the joy that you've been through as well. He knows the needs that you have because he was the one who created you to begin with. You were known And when you're on a college campus, this feels really hard sometimes. Sometimes you can feel like a speck on this earth. Someone who's not cared about, someone who's not loved, but the God of the universe knows your name. You are known. And the next thing we see that's important for us as followers of Christ, not only are we loved and known, but we are also set free. We are also set free. As we began tonight, we recognized that we were once enslaved to the things of the world and to the things of the law. But now as individuals, we have been set free. One commentator puts it this way. He says, life in Christ is marked by the freedom that comes from being God's son. As a follower of Christ, we have been given a freedom in which we are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer slaves to the world, but instead that we are, we are given sonship, which gives us freedom to walk in the life that God has called us to, to live in our abundant life that Christ promised to us. And in chapter five, as Paul fleshes this out a little bit more, he goes on to say that your freedom is not an excuse for you to go and do whatever you want and to feed the flesh and feed the desires of the flesh but instead your freedom was granted to you so that you might serve and love one another. Your freedom was given so that you could follow Christ more, not rebel in him. Because true freedom comes from knowing God and following the things he calls us to do. Because our God is the one who created the world and created you and me, and he understands what works best in our lives. He gives us guidelines so that we might walk in his will, not so that we can suffer for him. Because his will is greater than the things that we desire. So we are free in him. We've been granted forgiveness and a new life 
in Christ. And lastly, we see that we are in Christ. This might be redundant, but this is something that is worth stating. Because we are no longer defined who we once were. If you are a follower of Christ, if you believed and placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you have been given a new identity which is in him. Which means that our sinfulness, our failures, all the things that we messed up in have been overcome by the life of Jesus. And when God looks at us, he doesn't any, any longer see our sin. He sees Christ's righteousness in us. And that is something that we need to recognize. That we are no longer slaves to sin, but instead that we are one in Christ. We are united in him and we are to live for him as well. At the end of chapter three, I know we're jumping a little bit all over the place in Galatians, but I think this is a really cool passage as we kind of close our time here tonight. Starting in verse uh, 26, it says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. This passage shows us that we are no longer defined by the things that the world defines us by. It's no longer our culture, it's no longer our gender, it's no longer our position or our job, but we are defined by being one in Christ. We are being defined as one who are her Christ and, and we are heirs to the promise. We are in his family. We have been given a new name, we have been given a new life. And the truth is, guys, we have been given a new identity. Because only when we are in Christ can we truly experience the things that God designed for us. Millard Erickson, who's a theologian, he said it this way. He says, we experience full humanity only when we are properly related to God. I'm going to say that again. It says, we experience full humanity only when we are properly related to God. Because we were designed to be in proper relationship with God. And so there's plenty of things that we can seek. There's plenty of things that we can do to try to fill the void that is within us. But the truth is we are only truly human when we are walking hand in hand with God. And we are only gonna fill the fullness of this life when we're in proper relationship with him because we were designed and created for him and for his purpose. As we wrap up tonight, I just have to propose the question that you might be thinking, so what, right? So what does it mean that we have identity in Christ? How does this challenge us to live? First, we must recognize who we truly are. Because so often we find the worst parts of ourselves and that's how we define ourselves. We might define ourselves as our anxiety. We might define ourselves as our fears. But in Christ, we are defined by someone who says, you are loved, you are cared for, you are worthy of everything. You are valued, you are adopted, you are a part of the family of God. If we are in Christ, we are no longer our failures, but instead we have been redefined as someone who is loving, is loved, and known by God. 
So we need to know this and we need to recognize that we are not the things that we, are, we do, but we are God's alone. And he is who should define us. Because we are loved, adopted, redeemed, known, and free. We are Christ. And second, we should live in a way that honors this new identity that's been given to us. As someone who has been brought into the family of God, we should be living for the Father. Because we're in his family, we carry his name. And so our lives should be devoted to him and his glory. Our lives should be devoted to the one who has given us new life. We must recognize that when we are in Christ, we are no longer living for our own glory, but for the glory of God above us and the glory of God alone. We must live in response to who we are in Christ. As sons and daughters of God, we should live in a way that brings honor and glory to our heavenly father because he is worthy of honor and glory. He has given everything so that we could be in relationship with him. So why don't we live our lives in order to bring him the glory and honor that he deserves? So my question as we close out is, have you been identified with Christ? Have you truly entered into a relationship with him? Have you placed your faith? Are you someone who is in Christ, who has thrown off the old things and put on Christ as your new way of life? And if you have, are you living in a way that brings him glory? Are you living in a way that's worthy of the name that you claim? Let's pray. Dear Lord, we are so grateful for the opportunity to study your word. We are so grateful that you have... Good. Lord, we're so grateful for broken tables. Um, But Lord, we are just even more grateful that even in our brokenness, you extend love to us. Lord, that even in our failures, even in the things that were before, that we might have messed up, that we might have walked in disobedience to you. Lord, we know in your perfect timing, you sent your son for us. And Lord, our identity is not our failures anymore, but our identity is the honor which you have given us through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room who has never given their life to you, who has never placed their faith in you and become a son or daughter of God. Lord, that tonight would be tonight. Lord, that they would, they would truly believe in their heart that you are the Son of God and that your death was enough. Lord, that they would pray and, and recognize that, that, Lord, you are worthy of our lives. And Lord, we give it all over to you. And Lord, for the Christian in the room, I pray that whatever lies that they might be re- believing right now about who they are, Lord, that they would be laid down at the altar here tonight. Lord, I pray that you would give them a new identity and help them believe the new identity that you have given to them. As someone who is loved, who is known, who is cared for, who is adopted into your family. And Lord, that we would live faithfully in light of that calling. Lord, we love you so much. It's your son's name I pray. Amen.